Renewal by Joan Taylor Ruin. You could do some management training, my boss says, handing me my contract for renewal. We are expanding and there are opportunities opening up in testing the machines that test the smart cards that live in the house that Jack built, I say. He smiles slightly and tilts back in his chair, shuffling bits of paper in his hands. Anyway, Rachel, think about it. You'll need to sign it and bring it back with you tomorrow. You have a future here with us. I know it's not glamorous, but we don't work you too hard, do we? So you've got time to dabble, yes, I say. I like to dabble. I'm a real dabbler. I can feel myself being too snide. And my boss is not a nasty man. I leave the office clutching the contract, the weight of the decision pressing on my shoulders. I'm 30 years old, which, as my mother says, means I'm in my prime. <laughs> Somehow she makes it sound like an accusation. I should be prime minister or on prime time TV. She wanted me to work in an office when I was pretending to be a poet. But now I am working in one. She still isn't happy. She doesn't know how to describe what I do. If only I was a lawyer or a doctor. A one-word job with its own mini-series. At least I have a boyfriend. Don is a builder. It's a bit manual for my mum's taste, but he has ambition. Don is short for Don Quixote. His mum was reading it when he was in the room. I wanted a boy with dreams, she confided on a Sunday lunchtime, as Don and her husband compared the Ikea and Argos catalogue for storage solutions. She has pretensions like you, my mother whispered. Normally, I go to lunch with Sarah, but she's not in. Her little boy is sick. She's got two kids, both round and soft, who call me Auntie Rachel. <laughs> it twists my heart when I hear them say it. I think about having kids someday. Don says a pram in the hall is death of creativity. Of course, he didn't say it first, but he thinks that knowing it is just as good. When I look at those two boys, I think that they are better than any bloody Larkin poem. Is Don the death of my creativity? He wanted the big fat mortgage. It's zeros, two eyes watching what I spend every month, staring at me as I think about giving up work to write full time. I think it's just a hobby, my mother says, though no one asked her. If you were a real writer, you would be up before work scribbling away like that Danielle Steele. <laughs> You just like the idea of being a writer. She drops this bomb from time to time, and it always goes off. A real 
writer. How do I get real? The contract sits in my bag, a piece of plutonium with the potential to stealthily destroy. I open the folder called Unfinished Work, my dabblings. Each one I read fills me with mortification. Who do I think I am? I'm unreal. I take the contract out and sign it. Doing what you have to do, not what you want to do. That's what it is to be a grown-up. I hear my mum's voice again, a conversation over dinner, where she likes to share the indigestible facts of existence. I can't help wondering if disillusionment is the D in my DNA. I phone Sarah. Her boy is still sick. I hear him wailing in the background. I'm renewing my contract, I say. But what about despair, despondency and thwarted literary ambition, she says, referring to my morning email. And by the way, you spelt thwarted wrong. Stung, I hung up on her. To cheer myself up, I leave early and stop for sushi to take home. Raw fish. Risky, my mum would say, anxiously. But sushi makes me feel adventurous. It's not an easy food. You eat it with sticks. And a condiment that makes your eyes water and your nose run at the same time. It's food that fights back. The station is beginning to busy. People hurrying in, heading for trains that might still have seats. In the middle of a concourse, a man is lying on the floor. I notice him out of the corner of my eye when I came in. A slip, I assume, or a fainting attack. He's still there a couple of minutes later as I leave the newsagents with my milk. A member of staff is kneeling next to him. Other passengers, like me, turn their heads in his direction as they walk by, comforted by the sight of the female employee in high-vis jacket. The woman looks nervous. She's glancing around as if she's expecting someone to come. The man has not moved. People entering the station give him a wide berth. The announcer mentions two delayed trains but doesn't ask if there's a doctor on the station. They must know the ambulance is close. I can see the man more clearly now. He's young, bearded, probably the same age as me. I walk back towards him. She's trying to resuscitate him now, but doesn't look as if she knows what she's doing. She's speaking into her walkie-talkie. She hooks onto my glance, desperation in her eyes. Is someone on their way, I say. She nods rapidly. But it's Russia. They're stuck in traffic. They've sent a motorbike, paramedic, but, but he's been involved in an incident with a cyclist, so, so they've called for another one. The man's skin is darkening to a bruised purple. 
I stare at his face. I think I know this man. Do you? She says eagerly. Is there someone we could find? I shrug now, awkward, blushing. I mean, I, I don't know him. He works in my building. He works on my floor. I think his name's Paul. Or is it Peter? Oh, I realise I don't know anything about him. I try to picture any photos on his desk, but I can't. I'm unable to do anything. I have no useful skills. Cannot do first aid, and poetry will not help me. The woman on the floor is speaking into her radio again. Her voice is urgent and hushed. She's resting her hand tentatively on the man's chest. I know instinctively that she cannot feel anything beneath her hand, and that's why it's there so lightly. She doesn't want to feel the solid evidence of death. As I turn away, I hear the booming request for a medic, and I hurry on, refusing to look back. At home, there's a message on the table from Don. He tried to text me, but my phone was off. He's gone to the pub with his mates, and I can join them later if I want. He's drawn a heart at the bottom of the page. It makes me want to cry. I can't eat. I watch TV, but my mind can't engage with it. I pour myself a stiff drink. Stiff. I try not to think of that face. At 9pm, I phone the transport police. After several attempts, I get through to a woman. There was a man at Cannon Street Station this evening, I say, and my throat is tight. He was unconscious and, and the ambulance can get through the traffic. I think a medic might have helped him. I wanted to know how he is. Present tense. There's a pause at the other end some rustlings. The news is on the TV, but there's no picture of his face. Hello? Are you still there? She clears her throat. <clears throat> I'm afraid he didn't make it, though. I let out a little cry. I'm bit hard on my finger. I'm so sorry, pet. Was he a friend? No, no, not really. Not at all. He was there on his own. No one who loved him was there. I'm crying now. I feel like a fraud, but I can't stop myself. The traffic, the ambulance, it couldn't save him. He was young. I've been thinking about him all evening. Oh, that's kind of you. I'm not kind at all, I wanted to say. I should have known more about him. I should have known his name. I'm sorry. You must think I'm really silly. But I kept thinking of his life over just like, just like that. All his hopes and his dreams. 
They're gone. I paused and blew my nose. The woman on the phone sighs. We are together for a moment in silence. I don't believe in God, but still, I think of that man's soul floating around in the ticket office like a pigeon trying to find a way out. Are you going to be all right? Yes. Yes, of course. It was just the shock. I'm sorry, though. I stare out of the window. It's dark, but the streetlights make everything glow. A couple walk by, arm in arm, laughing. A man stops to adjust his iPod. Someone, somewhere, is staring at a phone that just told them their son is dead. I rummage in my bag to find mine and spot the contract. My heart beats rapidly, like a moth against a window. I take out the stapled sheets and tear them into pieces. I watch them fall on the floor, as white and redundant as the dead man's shirt. And then I ring Dom. I can tell when he answers that he's already a little drunk. Hi, babe, he says. Come on down. It's a pub quiz. We need you. We can't do any of the fucking poetry questions. <laughs> I laugh a little. Will you be home soon? Soon, he says. As the moon. I nestle the phone against my ear and my eyes well up. I feel very tired. I want him to be here with me. The solid aliveness of him. His hot breath. His beating heart. Soon as a spoon. He's singing. As a spoon in June. I can hear his mate snorting and I laugh despite myself. A tearful, gulping laugh. Oxygen fills my lungs. I stop that, I say. I'm the poet. Remember? <laughs>